So how do you respond to your enemies? And, and who would you say your enemies are? Like if you were to think about it uh, in your life, most of you probably uh, don't think that like uh, at least right now you're probably not thinking like there's an army waiting for you outside uh, as you step out of this, this building. We're not always thinking in those terms. Um, but who are they? Uh, sometimes you might say, it's my neighbors. They just keep wearing me out. I, I, we've had a neighbor before uh, stay up really late with their friends you know, on a Saturday night. And yeah, I'm thinking like, Let's get water balloons and, like, toss them over, run everybody out. No. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think, but I've thought before, like, uh, yeah, what, what needs to be done to get that to kind of settle down? Maybe it's coworkers. You maybe have a coworker, and you're like, ah, man, they just keep doing this thing to me. Like, they keep coming after me or disturbing me in this way. Or a classmate, and you're like, they drive me crazy. Every week, like I don't even want to see them. Maybe you do if you have a classmate that is like uh, the Andy the show when when his son, you know, was like uh, they were taking his dime every week and he couldn't drink any milk, you know. And you're like, there's some bully like in the class, and you like need to kind of stand up to them or whatever. I, I don't know. You could have a long list. Maybe it's extended family. Maybe it's your your immediate family or some family member in your immediate family. And you said, like, if I could just get control of that person, then I could really, you know, things would be right. Maybe it's your church family. You could kind of make a long list of, of, of the people. If you were to say, I'm dwelling in the presence of my enemies, you could make a long list of people. Maybe you, you could say, or maybe right now you're saying, I don't really know anybody like that. And I would just say, like, well, what gets you really fired up? And it's usually associated with somebody at some point in time. You know, we just kind of, sometimes those in closest proximity to us are the ones that we battle with most. And so I I think we have to consider that. And and we even have to do this sometimes. Um, We have to say to one another, uh, you know, even Anna and I will, you know, it's like we are for, or I'm for you. I want good for you. Like, I love you. I'm seeking your good. I'm not trying to, like, hurt you, you know, or whatever. Or, you know, so she didn't think that uh, yesterday because I left a blue pen in my pocket. And it's not the first time I've done this. And when it went into the dryer, it went, like, everywhere. And so I'm sure she was thinking, like, does he love me, you know? Like, it's not the time to, like, bring a Valentine's card and be like, remember, or bring it back in there and be like, remember all those things I said? You know, I, I really do feel that way, you know. Uh, but, but I think it's just important for us to, to, to stop and consider, okay, this text is about David facing enemies, and it's, it's, very, it's a serious thing. I kind of joke about that, but it's a serious thing in our lives. But, but, it, but it's really like in this case, it's like the kingdom of God. It, it's, and, and God's king is being assaulted by his own son. And his own son is creating like this civil war. And, and so it's, he's facing that kind of battle. And I would say to you, like, there are, like, whenever, whenever 
within God's kingdom, and we would probably most naturally say within the church, there are intense battles. Like if you don't see them for what they are, like you, you just don't have the right glasses on, you know. And sometimes with the David thing, you'd be like, well, okay, you know, uh, David, and, and I know his son was acting bad, and he had a little bad son. It's, it's more than that. It is. It's at war against God, against his kingdom, seeking to overthrow his reign. All of that, seeking to cause trouble for his people, all of that is going on here. Now, another thing I think that's just really, really important to note. Who, who are David's enemies? I mean, really? Like, how does he see his enemies? And really for you sometimes, like, how do you see your enemies? You say, well, if I can get rid of my enemies, well, who are his enemies? And one of the things I just want you to note as we move through today is that behind all of his enemies is God. That, that's just important. Like, David, as he's being cursed, is saying... God told that man to say those things to me. Is that a little bit hard for you? To think like, no, but you don't understand. My life is like this because of da, 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 da. You make this long list. And you say, then you could like look at someone sometimes and say, we have to do this to one another. Are those things sifted through his hands? Does anything come to you as his child that he is not allowed did, did, did Satan not, for instance, in the, the example of Job, have to go to God first? Like, your troubles. Like, is God not reigning on His throne when you encounter suffering and trouble and trials in this life? You look at it and say, these things are getting me. But I think sometimes we have to stop and pull back and say, oh, hold on. And I've said this to you before. Billy Graham thought that Satan was after him for like years while he was doing like the crusades. As he reflected on it as an older man, he said, all of my writing, a lot of things that I learned and were firmed up in my heart, a lot of the praying came as a result of God pulling me back, making me pause, and use that time. So somebody might say, no, it was just sickness. And somebody might say, no, it was the devil. And say, well, the Lord used throughout Scripture sickness and the devil. But the deal is, is like God is still reigning whatever that stuff is. That's a big deal. And that, that's sometimes, that is hard for me to take in the moment when you, if you, like, if I'm freaking out and you come to me and be like, look at what God's doing in your life, I might be like, listen, come back in three days. You know, talk me through that after, like, I go through this freak out session, right? But I think it's just important that you kind of see that and think that through because it's not, it, when you're dealing with someone who is conniving or cursing, or conspiring against you. 
You cannot just see that with earthly eyes and say, that's it. If you do, you don't see it as a Christian. Right? You don't see it with Christian eyes. You see it with a man looking at life under the sun without a view towards God. So I think that's something we understand. We have to work. That doesn't make it easy. Uh, there, that brings another set of problems sometimes for us. Now, the other thing just to say about David, and I won't spend, I'm, I'm just trying to help you think about some of these things, is that David has just been in rebellion, and God said, I am going to, you are going to face trouble as a result. There are consequences to his sin. And so we don't always, it's not always like the reason you're having trouble, it's because of consequences for your sin. No, absolutely not. We'd never say that. What we're saying is in this particular instance, David knows. David knows exactly what is happening. God's already told him what's going to happen. It's happening before his very eyes and he is able to put those pieces together. Okay, so today, or last week, I could just say, we saw his friends. This week, his enemies. Zeba, I just call him a conniver. Shimi, a curser. Ahithophel, a conspirator. Those are the three. Verses 1 to 4, 5 to 14, 15 to 23. Those are the three people that he encounters. And, um, and, and that's kind of where we are today. So, um, you're kind of dealing with that issue of like, how do you deal with enemies? Uh, how do you, how do you uh, see enemies? Um, how, do, how do you think about it when you think these are enemies of God, they're dishonest, abusive, and scheming? Uh, how do we see that? Well, we, we know the kingdom will stand, and we'll watch this kind of on display. So let's look at verses 1 to 4. And the, the first enemy comes bearing gifts. That's kind of what you could say. He comes in, he's got gifts. He's a, I'll call him a conniver. He is, um, he's coming in and he's like, look at all that I have for you. I know you're in trouble. Look at all these things. So this man, Ziba, is Mephibosheth's servant. He was the steward of all that David returned to Mephibosheth. So with Mephibosheth, he is the grandson of Saul. All that Saul as king had is now uh, given to Mephibosheth. And so Ziba, who Mephibosheth can't walk, he couldn't do any of the work. And so Ziba would be watching over everything. He's a steward over all of those properties, and he's watching over them. So when he shows up, I mean, he's a known guy. I mean, David had commissioned him to do this and he brings him stuff it's not enough to get by but it's like a snack for the day I mean I don't know if you'd say it that way but it, it is some it's some stuff there that he brings to him and so David says uh, to him what have you brought and he tells him and he's like well uh, where's Mephibosheth and, and this guy responds with uh, this story that Mephibosheth is sitting now in Jerusalem awaiting for the kingdom to be given back. That's basically what he says. The kingdom be given back to his family, to Saul's family, to their lineage. And, and, and this Ziba kind of basically makes it sound like Mephibosheth is, is in this place where he's kind of uh, wanting to get the kingdom back. David's shown great kindness to him. And it's a little bit shocking. If you were thinking about it for very long, you'd think like, 
Why would he think that? I mean, they have not made him king. They made David's son king. It's kind of a far-fetched deal. But look, you can look at chapter 19, verses 24 through 30, and you'll find out that Mephibosheth was in a state of mourning while David was in exile, and his servant just lied. So David responds to this lie and says, like, I'm giving everything to you, Ziba. Mephibosheth is not going to have anything anymore. It's kind of a, you'd think if David were in a different setting, he might have thought this through. He was kind of responding in a kind of a crazy way. But you see this manipulator in, in, in this story. I mean, you see him. Now, when he encounters that enemy again that comes bearing gifts, it, he does. He's a manipulator. He's somebody that is, is conniving. He's lying about his master. He's, he's somebody that you would say, man, this is a horrible person. And you do have to ask yourself, have you ever, you ever been that person? I mean, I think we do have to kind of stop and say, like, what does that look like? Does that, does that happen among uh, people in the kingdom? Do they ever do things like that? Uh, I read this week of a guy who was writing about uh, the Continental Army suffering at Valley Forge, and this is what he said. Clothes were so threadbare and blankets so rare that the troops, the troops often sat up all night rather than fall asleep and freeze to death. Lafayette saw their soldiers uh, whose legs had frozen black. They were taken to hospitals for, for amputation. Why such suffering? It was not uh, the severe winter, for the winter was mild by uh, Pennsylvania standards. But, but soldiers were hungry because nearby farmers preferred to sell to the British in Philadelphia for hard cash. The army was half naked because merchants in Boston refused to, to move government clothing off their shelves at anything less than profits ranging from 1,000 to 1,800%. The colonies swarmed with zebras. The hardships of others uh, was their opportunity for success. And so often when you see someone like taking advantage of the situation, that's kind of the picture here. This is taking advantage of a situation and, and using it for yourself. It's, it's kind of though, even in your own life, you think, have you ever, it, it, is it possible for you to think in terms of you ever doing anything without a tinge of sin in it? You know, where it's out, there's not some benefit. You might even have started out with like, I want to bless these people, but by the time that you got to that or past the blessing of that person, you're already thinking about kind of what you got out of it. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's a struggle for, for us. It's something to understand. It's something to recognize. And I think we have to say, uh, David's enemy starts with this conniving person that is twisting th something for their gain in the midst of great suffering, in the midst of great trouble. And so uh, David is facing this enemy. And again, we always have to say, these enemies that he is facing, they're not just, um, it's not like God is absent. He is working through these situations. Uh, the next one is Shimei, a cursor. Now what's going on in verses 5 through or, uh, 14? David is walking along the way, going towards the Jordan River. He's left, he's east of Jerusalem. And as he goes along the way, this man shows up who's a part of Saul's family, and he starts screaming at him, like, you're getting what you deserve! You know? 
You may have known friends like that. You know, it's almost like <laughs> worse than Job's friends who are like, you're getting what you deserve. They didn't even know what, why Job was facing what he was facing. This guy actually knows that David, uh, at least he has some ideas of what David has done in the past, or he has his thoughts about what David has done, and he begins to scream at him, this is what you get for what you've done. You know, like I said, you may have friends like that. And he starts throwing, or so-called friends. And uh, who needs, like, enemies when you have friends like that, right? And so he's, like, hurling rocks, you know, at them. He's throwing stones at them, throwing dust on them, and screaming out at them and cursing him. And he is the king. But that's what he's doing. He's speaking to the king in this way, he says, the Lord has avenged on you the blood of the house of Saul. You know, I mean, it's just, and again, we know all the story about what went on with Saul and how David, like, didn't take his life when he could and all that kind of stuff. But this guy's just hurling these, these threats and all of this stuff upon him. And, um, like, David's people, that, that his, his uh, right-hand soldiers, uh, one of them says, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Again, a capital offense. Let me go over and take off his head. I mean, for crying out loud, we're in a time of war. Silence that man. I mean, that, that, I, I am so, because the guy's basically like kind of like walking alongside of them, screaming out these things. And he's like, you know what? I know how to fix this. If you chop off his head, he will never say anything else again I, I mean I would agree with that like he's not going to say anything else again you will silence that person forever verses 10 through 14 but the king said what have I to do with you you sons of Zariah or Zer I didn't say that right but we'll keep moving on if he is cursing because the Lord said to him curse David what then shall, uh, then shall say, why have you done so? Like, or who then shall say, why have you done so? What is going on there? D D David's saying, like, if the Lord is in all this, uh, if the Lord's given him these words to say, what am I going to do and, and tell him to, to, to shut him up? Verse 11, and David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more this Benjaminite? I mean, this guy, like, I mean, he, of course he, he would do this. But then he says in verse 11, Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. Ah, I mean, again, <clears throat> you're, you're just like, what is, are you serious, David? I mean, what are you saying? And I think David in this moment, um, is recognizing God's discipline on his life. I mean, his situation is clear to him. God is disciplining him. And what is being said, although some of this stuff is not true about David, the, 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 this discipline, this, this cursing of him... He can receive that as the Lord's disciplining him. That's what I would say. That's how you would see that. That's how he does see it. 
In verse 12 it says, It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his, curse, for his cursing today. Again, behind the cursing is this blessing. And so he's looking at it and saying, maybe God is, what he's doing is, is he is helping me see my sin what I deserve, the judgment that should fall on me for the sins that I have committed in chapters 11 and 12, but then show me mercy. And that's, I think that's clear. I think that's what he's trying to communicate. And I think, again, sometimes when you're under divine discipline, instead of saying, well, this person, this person, that person is just after me, I think he's saying here, behind all of those things, he can see God working. And God's bringing him low, but he, there's a great hope that he will also lift him up. And you'll see that in Psalm 51. You will see him recognize his sin and you call out for God's uh, favor again. <clears throat> One author noted, David has a deep-seated confidence in a God of unguessable grace who has a tendency to replace cursing with goodness. He assumes that Yahweh has this strangely wonderful way of looking upon guilt and yet returning blessing instead of curse. He senses that though the mouth of God is declared as punishment, the eye of God may long to spare him from it. So David is facing these things, these enemies, this difficulty, and it's, it's pressing down on him but it's causing his eyes to lift up kind of towards the Lord, you would say. So you might be like, oh, that's tough. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, there's... And so here we see God working, David seeing God working in his life. Now, so we started out with this conniver, then we have this cursor, and now you kind of go to the conspirator. We're leaving David, we go to Absalom, we go back to Jerusalem... And uh, the, the, this conspirator is the one who is very wise, Ahithophel. And when Hushai the archite, uh, or archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is that not your are you not loyal to your friend? What are you doing? And he says, no, uh, I am for the king of Israel. And he's going to um, kind of, enter in, Hushai does, it's David's friend that he sent back, the servant. He enters into kind of relationship here with Absalom. And then in verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel, what shall we do? So now we're at this place where Absalom has come back into Jerusalem, and this one who used to be David's closest companion is now aligned with Absalom. He is seeking to overthrow David's rule forever. And basically, the son comes up and says, what do I do to overthrow my father kind of forever? forever? And Ahithophel says, like, go into his concubines. So he sends him in. And he tells him, hey, go into them. Make it clear, a visible thing, so that everyone can see you now reign in his house. You have taken over his house. 
You have taken these concubines, you are setting up your place, and you are totally rejecting your father. So go do that. Now, again, David had already prayed, Lord, make Ahithophel like his wisdom foolishness. And if you were to think about this for a moment, like what would be the best thing to do if your dad's on the run and you have all the power? I mean, it just seems to make sense. Rather than making a spectacle in the city, go chase him down and finish him off. Your dad is the, one of the most powerful military leaders in, in the history. I mean, when you think about the history of Israel, you think, like, who is the most amazing military leader of all? You would say, David, David, David. I mean, so often, probably, that would be people's response. Like, why does he not go after him? And again, I think in this moment you're seeing like, even though this would, may have been a common act, it's still like you think, or have, have y'all really been thinking this through? And so even though, and, and it really it's, it, it's, and how will the people respond and what's going to take place in the midst of all this? I don't know, but in the, I just think it's interesting that this very wise man tells him to do this. So he, they pitched a tent on the roof so that all could see and send all of his concubines in. And it was just a, a horrific kind of situation uh, for Israel to think about what he was, what, you know, uh, Absalom was doing to David. But verse 23, now in those days the counsel of Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and Absalom. So people just did what he said. And again, he's trying to undermine the kingdom, overthrow the kingdom. He is a conspirator against David. Now, think about this with me just for a minute. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we'll, I just want you to put this together. Because I want you to think about how God is working even with the enemies, even with like those who are coming against his kingdom. 2 Samuel 12, verse 10 through 12. What did God say? Ready? Now therefore, the sword shall not never depart from your house, speaking to David, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. What is that? I mean, what's he saying? I mean, what's happening here? This guy that is like as if he were speaking the words of God, this guy is saying, listen, Absalom, fulfill prophecy. I mean, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't know he's saying that, but he's saying like, do what God's words already said is going to be done. So these enemies are coming after David and you're looking at all this and some of us might say, good night, look at what David's facing. Everything's in turmoil. How will they ever survive? I don't know what's going to happen. And David's knowing this. He's under God's discipline. And all along the way, the Lord is using wicked men to accomplish his plan in the life of David. And this is not the first time in the Bible that this was done, and it will not be the last. 
Now, a couple more things I just want you to hear, and then we'll kind of move on. When Paul was speaking of the Lord's Supper, he said, on the night when he was betrayed or handed over, speaking of Judas, that's, that's what the Apostle Paul said. And then later, speaking again, he said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You see, in the midst of Judas delivering Jesus over, Paul could talk about that in that way, and while at the same time saying, he, speaking of the Father, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He is laying out for us that God's plans are executed over and over flawlessly. So when you think about God's kingdom and you think people are undermining it and there's like conniving and cursing and conspiring against it and you think this is so awful and I don't know what's going to happen and how is this ever going to work out and, and where's God in the midst of that which all of us have these things kind of running through our heads at so many different times in our lives. In the midst of that, these things aren't outside of His control. He is working out His plan perfectly. And we can trust Him. Whether we are, He is training and refining us and shaping us or disciplining us in a negative way, whatever trouble, whether it's something like Job where it's, more, it's not like, Job, you did something bad, so this is what you got. Or whether it's something like you're in trouble and you're getting a spanking. Our God, with His people, is a good Father. And as He guides us, whatever track we're on, as He's guiding us, we can trust that nothing happens outside of His perfect control. And that He is the author of our faith faith and the finisher of it and what he starts in us he will complete and that this light and momentary affliction will have nothing to compare to the glory to be revealed and we can put great hope in that so let's do that let's pray father we thank you for your word we ask for wisdom and direction as we seek to walk in faith while living in exile whether we're being disciplined in a negative sense for doing wrong or we're being disciplined in a positive sense so we can grow and flourish and we're being pruned in a positive way, whatever that is, we know that you're working all things together for our good. We pray that we would trust you in it. In Christ's name, amen.